So good. We back. We Chandler back, baby. With a full mouth of Quality Street. Yeah. Season two, episode six. six. Yeah, um, I started. I almost said two. It's Valentine's well, Day. There's nothing better than Quality Streets in February. Yeah. Because you know it's the worst of the Quality Streets left over, but. They're half price. Here, no, but here at BNV Studios, they left some good ones still in the container. So we were just having a little debate, and we need to know: Do you like the cream-filled ones? You know the fruity-flavored ones. And yeah, there's orange and there's uh, strawberry. Is it strawberry? I, I was gonna say unidentified red flavor, but <laughs> I think it's actually it's like a mix of raspberry and strawberry. Those but are, I think it's labeled yeah. strawberry. Um, I love those, and a lot of people don't. Apparently, the guys here at BNV don't. They don't, neither do the people at the office, because at Remax, those are also left over. But we know that they're psychos here, because nobody likes the toffee circles and the sticks, because they pull your teeth out of your skull, <laughs> and they're all gone. Yeah, the Who, chewy ones. The chewy ones. The denture removers. <laughs> Who's eating those? I don't know. I think people use them as paperweights. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyways. Happy Valentine's Day, though. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Big plans? Happy. Yeah, I uh, you look I'm, like you're ready for a date. Look how handsome this guy is. I'm looking is. great. I have the teddy bear, which is coming home with me after this. Yeah. And we have, I'm not sure what this is. But uh, yeah, now we're going to Dear Friend Bar. Little. Yeah, this was a fun little coincidence. That we that, just found out. Yeah, Neil was all like, this is what I'm doing for New Year's Eve. And he said he's going to Dear Friend. And I go, man, early seating or late seating? Which one? Early seating. Early seating, which is also what I booked. Uh, for Valentine's Day. We just texted the owner to share a table. Uh, yeah, so this is going to make the spouses super fired <laughs> up. Um, We're just going to run a podcast episode sitting there Yeah. while they enjoy their, their three-course meal and oh then some wine. Oh, my God. We could live stream Valentine's <laughs> Day dates at Dear Friend. Shout out to Dear Friend Bar. Man, I love Dear Friend. And then next yeah. year, we'll just do Valentine's. It'll just be you and me, I think, Yeah. by yeah. that point, we'll if we do this year. <laughs> well, Neil was all worried that they were going to see this because yours is kind of a surprise. Sort of, sort yeah. Sort of surprise, yeah. yeah. My wife knows about uh, it, but she also doesn't watch the podcast, so I can say anything right here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, you know, big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Anyways, yeah. so today's episode uh, is one that I think is going to be really good. We've realized that we skipped a few steps with our episodes, and we kind of jumped like straight into some heavy investing conversation, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of requests from people. I'm, we're getting it now saying, hey, we look through the catalog. There's nothing like simply just explaining how to buy a house. Um, yeah, yeah, we've touched on it at different points. Like, oh, what order should you do things in? But, but very quickly, very high level, and we just want this to be the episode that if people are interested in, or the phases of buying a home, this is the episode you check out. Exactly, and we're going to try and go in as detailed as possible and make it uh, as simplistic and, and really a nice one that you can look at before if you're considering buying a house, even buying another house. This is a good one to give you a refresher and, and an update on what you what we think you should be doing. And I mean. Uh, we have a fairly good grasp on it, so we'll uh, we're gonna do that. But as usual, we'll start with our personal news, followed by a little bit of the news of what's going on out there, and then we'll get right into it. Cool, sounds good. So you want to start? What's what's new with you? Actually, you I always start. you printed this thing. Yeah, you do always start. You start because you never ask enough questions. See, this is why we go on dates. I, <laughs> <laughs> we're this old I married care, couple. I care, Chandler. Tell me about your week. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> The building that I feel like I've been talking about forever, and I'm really frustrated because my goal was to have dirt moved by mid-January and then dirt moved by mid-February, and here we are. But we are sending it out to tender, which means, um, you know, we've got the high-level budgets for everything, and we have certain um, soft costs 
lined up and, and locked in. But now we're actually putting things out to all the sub trades to find out how much is this building really going to cost? Super high level per door. What is that right now? Um, it's somewhere around three fifteen, three and a quarter, somewhere in per right door. There. Per door. Yeah. He's talking three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, roughly, to build an apartment. That's correct. Yeah, and um, you know, it's it's not the most economical site. Uh, it's not the cheapest built building. Uh, it's you know, quality concrete, two levels of parking, etc. Yeah, but. You know, I'm trying to make it more affordable, and that's still what it comes in at. Yeah. And we talked about this before. This is why the, the rent is what the rent is, because anyone out there that has a mortgage for three hundred thousand grand, they know what it costs to carry that property yeah. every month. So, but I'm super pumped about that. Um, see a closing coming up here. Well, yeah, I've got a closing on six units. That's the one I'm excited about because I'm going to get in and out without any money out of my pocket. Just continue and, to buy uh, smaller buildings. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go for a four <laughs> unit after that. I actually went from an eight to a six, so I got to go four. Um, it was just too good of a deal to pass up. When and he closes on that, we're going to do an episode explaining how he's getting in and out of that with no money. Yeah, yeah. So I'm fired up about that. And then I've got four units started of that eight unit runner project. Um and that's going along really well. I did some cool things with the layouts. I actually changed the layouts more than I usually do. Oftentimes in these units, I'm able to keep the layout and just change everything. In this case, I'm actually going to swing around the layouts a little bit. Cool. Um, but what I'm really excited about, actually two things I'm really fired up about. One, I submitted an offer on a development site with some partners down the South Shore. It hasn't come together yet, but I'm optimistic about that. And that would be for Ooh. about 40 to 50 units. Um because who doesn't love the South Shore? Mm-hmm. And I'm in the early stages of a really big deal. It would be my biggest deal to date. Um, about $5 million bucks for nine parcels that has both an existing structure component. You know, there's about 30 units there currently. But obviously, long-term, looking at that as a really big development site, probably. I mean, you and I masked it out really lightly. It's over 100 units. Definitely, yeah. Um, so pumped on that. These are exciting things. And, of course, they come at once, which is like... Where's all the money going to come Where from? Because the money. you can't sell any houses right now. So <laughs> Show me the um, money. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm excited. Good, good things going on that front. What about yourself? I'm not nearly as exciting. Uh, Bullshit, I'm, because you filled out this thing. We send these back and forth, like what's going on, and we make this little sheet here. And I feel like, man, we do sound a little bit like an old married couple because like, you don't tell me anything. <laughs> right? We met on Tuesday. We the, second, a, the second I sent this one back, I got an instant text of, what are you talking about? Yeah, exclamation, question mark, exclamation. Um, okay, so I think I talked about it last time. I was working on buying a 12-unit lot. I bailed on it because the numbers weren't super exciting, but I'm realizing I might be running my construction numbers way too high, uh, which I try to do to be safe, but unfortunately, there's not big margins like they used to be. Like I can't expect to be making these 25% margins on these buildings. Mm-hmm. It's literally going to be 5%. Like that, That's going to be the difference between my build costs and its value. Like That's yep. what it works out to. 100%. I'm having that issue with the 60-unit. <coughs> my as-complete appraisal is coming in around 330 and I yeah. just told you that it's going to cost about 325 to build it. Yeah. So he's making five grand units. So he's for putting up uh, about $20 million. <laughs> Sick. Solid. <laughs> Follow us for more investment advice. <laughs> um. Spend 30 to make 300K. <laughs> um, yeah. So Oops. anyways, re- <laughs> swore. Re, um, reviewing that again, I might actually go back and try and put a deal together there. I think I can get it done and, and make some money. Um, what numbers were you using before and what are you using now? So I was using $185 a square foot plus HST for wood construction. Which I think is reasonable. That seems very reasonable. But I think I was building the units a little too large. 
Um, and I was also that's actually really cheap. 185. Well, I know, I understand. Yeah, but I'm also thinking I was making the units a little too big. Um, and then I was also adding in. I think I was putting a little bit lower rents than what I should have been. Uh, and additionally, I was looking at a, at a 75% takeout instead of 85 and potentially even 95 with the new CMHC rules that we discussed. Yeah, but you'll be over 1267 on that. Yeah, right? exactly. But, but um, so there, there's a few things there that I'm considering. My average unit size when I was saying that was a thousand square feet. So that, that that's a bit excessive. Yeah, that's too big for sure. Are you doing two bedrooms or three bedrooms? Two beds and a thousand. Oh man, square- bring that way down. Yeah, so yeah. it should be about 25 percent less. When you take 25 percent off of the cost, then everything makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, I'm I'm gonna look at it again and, and look back on it. And realistically, what I've realized is by the time it gets built, there'll probably be some value in it. So. I'm, the nice thing about that one was the fact that it can be up and rolling in 60 days, like the, the actual permit, mm-hmm. maybe 60, 90 days, I can have a permit and get going. Um, so it give me something to do this summer. But <clears throat> and it was close to my other property, uh, which was also a benefit to me. So anyways, long story short, I'm reconsidering that, but I did bail on it for now. Uh, on the flip side, I then went double down and a 100 unit and a 60 unit permitted build rolled across my desk. And it was a client mm-hmm. of mine, actually, who decided to change career paths. And he had some land, and he had already gotten the permits and the approvals. And now he wants to maneuver into a different business. And so he wants to basically li- liquidate what he has. Um, so I'm now actually going to be meeting with, uh, I might as well say, Lindsay's Construction tomorrow to discuss the build on the 100 unit, run over the numbers, understand the unit cost, the timelines, everything, and kind of how they, they do it. They've already done the high level. They haven't gone to tender yet, but they've, mm-hmm. they've gone the high, done the high level budget. And so I'm, I'm going to be looking at that. And... This is a really unique opportunity for me because it's going to level me up. Like I'm at around 100 units now. This will literally double me in one in one build. Mm-hmm. And I'm in my head, it'll hopefully take me into the ballpark of playing uh, like the real development game. Um, and I still have... Would you, a, would you phase it out? Like it's more than one building to get the It's one giant 100 really? unit building. Holy... Average man. unit size is 1,000 square feet. It is a Goliath that of a building. a monster. Yeah, with underground parking, the whole works. I'm actually going to look to downsize the building. Yeah, dude. Downsize the unit counts. Like everything, I'd like to bring it down to more like 700 square foot units, maybe more like 80 units, or like you or said, two buildings, or two buildings. Man, I feel like you should do that in two buildings. Yeah. One platform, one pedestal, so you have the same underground parking. Yeah, you yeah. Do the infrastructure for both up front, and you'd put two. Yeah, because this yeah. one already is stressing me out. But the th- same thing, the 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 build right now is coming in at around 30 some odd mil, and the sure, yeah. and the end value is coming in around 30 some odd mil. So I'm trying to find where there's some room and some margin by the time I pay for the land, go through the whole process. Additionally, the big thing is that the requirements to get financing for a building of that size, I obviously don't meet them, right? Like, again, I, there's been a lot of net worth growth for me in the last few years, but not nearly enough to convince a bank to then also mm-hmm. just jump in on Even financing the land. Yeah. Like, so There's no structure on it, right? So you can't find. There's nothing on the land right now. I, I think I'm in a fortunate position that I'll be able to get enough takeout from my current buildings to pay for the land. Um, but it's still going to be a snug one overall. So th- this is what I'm going through. I'm, I just just came up two days ago, and I'm literally meeting with them tomorrow uh, to go over it and start trying to make sense of it. So we'll see what happens and, and how it pans out. So Lindsay had already looked at it? Lindsay's already done okay. it. Yeah, they've already put their preliminary bid on it yeah. um, to build it out. I, I don't know. I'll probably check with a few others if I get really, really serious and I actually put this under contract. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway. great. We should have them on there. Yeah, so if, if I go further in that, you guys will obviously be very involved in that. And we can make probably a whole series, actually make videos on site and stuff of that taking place. And same yeah. for yours. When you when yours, yours yeah. is way more like yours is getting started here shortly. Yeah, uh, we're, we're getting close, man. We're getting really close. Yeah. So um, so what's up? Is the 60 units a different location or same location? Same location. Yeah, yeah. D- different site, but same location. 
Um, but yeah, so other than that, those are the two that came across my plate. I'm really excited because I'm a big person and we've talked about it before of like, okay, I've now, I got, when I felt comfortable single family homes, I switched to multi-units when I, or like small triplexes, sub four or five units, got comfortable with those, switched to the buildings that are six, 12 units. Now I'm feeling comfortable with those. Now I want to go to new construction. Yeah, yeah. I have two thirty units in permitting process right now, which I thought were really good starting points, which they are. But again, I, I'm very much a person of like, let me bite off more than I can chew. And so I'm yeah. trying to do that with this. But I'm, these are the kind of builds that if you make one mistake, you can sink yourself. Yeah. Like multiply by 100, man. Like you a, really can. a 10K screw up. Uh, where am I going to pull out the cash? Like, yeah. it's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so anyways, this is this is something I'm trying. And I may have to do some partners. It might be a JV sort of setup. Um, but T- TBD, TBD, uh, it's coming along. And also to allude, my last thing is to allude to what you said as well. Uh, selling houses, it's quiet. And it's not that it's quiet because lots of showings, lots of people looking. Yeah. No houses available. And the problem is even the ones that are available are getting 30, 40, 50, 60 offers and going for two, three, four hundred thousand dollars over yeah. compared to what they were last year. Like you're seeing a lot of people who bought a house last year and they're like, you know, I bought this house kind of hastily and I'm not loving it. I paid four hundred. Let's uh, let's put it up for four fifty. And then it goes for six seventy five. And you're like, Oh, cool. So you made 300K on a 400K house. Man, there was one that was a million dollars that they just turned around and sold for 1.25. And I think they've been there about 10 months. They never set foot in the home. Is it one in Hammond's Plains by chance? No. Okay. Because there's one in Hammond's Plains. This is a little funny story. I'm not going to say which house it is, but it was somebody from out of town that bought it to move here. They paid 900 grand. And then they got here and decided they didn't like the house. Never, ever slept one night in the house. Relisted it the day they got here. Resold it for 1.3 million. So they made 400K. Buying the house, moving here two months later, flip the house, sold for 400K, bought another house. God, why can't I get those clients? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't oh, my client, man. but anyways, anyways, not, and I feel for a lot of people listening like this is I'm sure you're more frustrated yeah, than yeah. not because I'm sure a lot of you guys are still looking to either buy a secondary property or even buy your first property. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to say don't get discouraged because I think things are going to get a little better, but it's, it's when... Um, it's just they need to open up on construction. They need to start building oh more. Oh, my God. Do they and ever? The city, the city needs to yeah. let that And happen. I saw they just delayed the next phase of Indigo Shores, or didn't delay, but, like, the developer didn't. was asking for it to be expedited. didn't happen. Crazy. It's like, come on, man. Come on. Crazy. Yeah, just to explain that, now that you've said it, I was going to say that is um, there's a new Indigo Shores, the neighborhood here, and the way it works with the subdivisions, they get approved in phases and that's because the city is looking to be able to keep up with services to service those neighborhoods. And so they say, look, you guys can build these 50 houses in the first year and we can get our stuff in place like bus routes, um, public, anything else public that they'd want to have in those areas. Yeah. Um, and now obviously due to demand, like you're seeing that neighborhood, people bought houses again last year for 450. Now they're 699. And, and at a rapid pace. At a rapid pace. Right. And now the developers like, hey, look, like we're prepared to open this neighborhood up, up faster, like the roads are in, let's go. Yeah. And the city is denying it because they're saying we can't keep up with the services. Man, I'm I'm like, you know, let them put up the houses. The crazy I think thing is pe- they're talking like 30 houses. They're, that's the right? first thing. Like, this is a low density neighborhood. Yeah. Secondly, it's crazy to think that the city is saying no because I'm like, put the 30 houses up. People will be more happy to get homes, have somewhere to live and not have to pay 800 grand for a $600,000 yeah, house. Like, oh my gosh, there's, there's too many lineups at the library. Yeah, you know, the, the infrastructure wasn't built here. They shouldn't have built my home. Like, no, yeah, man, or there's no bus home. route for a few weeks. Like, there's no bus to go there anyway. <laughs> and but even, even if there <laughs> was, problem, when but. they buy the house, they understand that they might have to wait a year for the bus route. But at least I get a home, and I don't have to bid against forty yeah, other people. It's crazy, man. So the, the city's just shooting themselves in the foot. Like, I don't get that. Also, it's 
those homes are, are typically not a first-time home buyer price point. They're usually a second. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, entry point six hundred. People there. buy those thirty homes and they list thirty other homes. So you get sixty homes into the market. Yeah, for those thirty. Yeah, you get, so, 30, you get 30 entry oh, homes man, that they're getting out of. It me so much. Exactly. Um, so anyways, that yeah. uh, that's something that but we'll, we'll move into news. I was saying the last 72 hours I wrote five offers that averaged about 115000 over asking price. Most of them had no financing. About half of them had no inspection, and we didn't get any of them. So on that note, let's talk about buying a home. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, let's, go over, let's go over the news first. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chandler's had a great week, and I can, I can really feel good on that. Um, so... First off, we I think we already kind of talked about this was CMHC changing its lending options for multi-res housing. We touched on that last time. The final things haven't come out yet. They haven't dotted their I's and crossed their T's yet. But it, we are bigly, big saying that this is going to become one of the biggest. I'm running out of words. Bigly. Bigly. Can't have heard it. We're bigly saying that this is going to become one Trump of the biggest housing booms. <laughs> 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 one of the biggest housing construction booms, or at least multi-res It's in going apartments. to be insane. Yeah. It is, is going to be an arms race. There's also going to be a big rush on land. And there, rush I think land. the rush on land's taking place because a lot of yeah. the developers have yeah, been know. tipped yeah. off by their bankers that this is coming. Yeah, um, and they're, they'll keep a keen pulse. And if you, for me, I've felt it in the last three four months. My developer clients, my land purchasers, went from like wanting land mm-hmm. to desperately wanting land, like quite yeah. aggressively. And the bid prices and also the neighborhoods we were looking in, like originally, okay, only downtown cores. Now it's like, oh, peripheral? Is there an ability to build apartments? Sure, I'll take it. I'm like, there was also a big difference because for a while it was like they were all they all wanted a deal, right? Like, yeah. oh, you know, these are trading at 15 a unit. Um, you know, I'd like to get it at 13 or 12. <laughs> yeah. Because back then the unit might have cost, you know, 180 to, to build. So the difference yeah. between 15 and 12 percentage wise was a bit bigger. Now yeah. the units cost so much more and they're going up so quickly that they're like, oh, trades more for 15, land. I'll give 17. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's craziness. So that's going to be huge, huge news. If you think there's a lot of buildings being put up now, you just wait. You wait until that that comes down. So, But that's what we need, right? So CMHC heard the message of, oh, our existing programs do not work. So this program, it's, it's not going to be qualification-based or it's not going to be um, application-based. It's you meet the criteria, boom, you get it, period. Where some of their other programs in the past was, oh, you meet the criteria, great, line up with all these other people and we're going to approve one in five of you. Yeah, that's right. Um, So this is going to be great. Um, The other thing that's huge is we are now the officially the fastest growing city in Canada. That's insane. Central Halifax, all Halifax listeners, not price wise, but people wise, and yeah, downtown core of Halifax has been is going to be the fastest growing. Um, Is that on a density scale? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, per per square kilometer. Um, So yeah, that that is super exciting. In general, I think the other tops were still TO, Vancouver, Calgary was growing quite a bit too. I think. I'm not sure if I saw that rolling around Instagram, but Calgary had quite a bit of growth. Um, but yeah, that's good. Crypto. The next one we have on here is crypto. Crypto markets are beginning to rebound. It, Chandler's doing a little dance here. Mm. Um, mm. He has half Almost of his back to even. He has half his life savings in crypto, so he's <laughs> he's pretty happy with that. We don't no. recommend doing that. No, I, I I put a chunk in, and you know watched it go down yeah. and I bought a little bit on the down and I almost bought again. And then I got things like, no, you're just trying to always, time the market always. and man, it went right back up and I'd be sitting, sitting a little prettier right now, but it's, this it's is, nice. I'm back effectively to even, and hopefully this is the start of a, of a little run here. Exactly. No, this is, this is good. It, um, I'm delving deep in these last few weeks into NFTs and crypto. 
So prepare yourselves, everybody. There's going to be some more episodes on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, uh, I'm, as I was freaking out before, I've maintained my freak out levels, and I really do think there's a change. So just, I suggest to everyone, try and watch some stuff or listen to things on NFTs, listen to stuff about cryptos. They are going to become more and more relevant, and I don't necessarily suggest buying a lot of bored apes and things like that. But <laughs> yeah, that stuff. Stu- there's some stuff that's obviously stupid. And, you know, that's media driven. It's like, it's a funny story, right? So you put it yeah. on there. But the, I saw some the other day and he was like, man, this crypto stuff's ridiculous. As if people are just like, what, not going to pay with paper money? Like, paper money's not going anywhere. And it's like, you still pay for stuff with paper money? I don't use coins ever. Like Paper money very rarely. It's r- so rarely used in transactions. Yeah. And then people go, well, man, I, I don't get it. It doesn't even make sense. It's not even real. Like, what do you think is going on on your debit card? It's going to suck you for know, movies, though. Like, it's so sick when they open a briefcase full of money. Oh, uh, that's true. Like, that all the scenes of, like, yeah, now it's going to be, like, or a the computer club. screen. You know what and I'm talking be about. Numbers, it's not the same in the club Numbers anymore. going by on a screen. It'd be like, oh, that's sick, bro. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, one of those dollar bill things that you, you shoot. Oh, the guns, the, guns the money guns. Strippers, but, like, it's just going to be, like, binary code. <laughs> anyway. Um, Laser tag. <laughs> Laser tag. <laughs> Okay. Uh, anyways, really moving, quality content yeah, today. Moving, moving forward. Um, and this is actually something I want to touch on as well. We don't even have it on this list. Just continuing <laughs> with all of these things. The, the Well, no, this is uh, the next one is good shortages. They've maintained good shortages have continued to get worse. Like, I don't know about you, but the grocery store is getting continuing to get worse. And I think it's a mixture of the things that we we're already talking about combined with there's a little bit of a trucker situation taking place. Uh, in the country not going to touch on that too much we are going to touch on it but go ahead okay i'm gonna let chandler touch on it um but what i was getting at i want to say this really quickly because i know a few of our listeners have messaged me about this regarding vehicles um don't if you can don't buy your car right now i think in the next i'm gonna say six months i like to put timelines on things but within six months the car market's going to swing around um interesting neil knows his cars i it just doesn't make sense. we're at a point now where it's not making much sense and like a lot of vehicles that they say they're shortages of i'm seeing lots of them on the road and i think people are kind of feeding into the hype and buying things as quickly as they can and now it's going to get to a point where there's a saturation level that people don't need the new vehicles combined with interest rates combined with the inflation across the board less people are going to have the expendable cash to buy mm-hmm. new cars and then it's, you're going to start seeing vehicles stock up on lots again. The second that happens, it's going to go down faster than it came up. It took three, four years for this to come up. It's not going to, it's not going to take three years for it to go down. The second it starts going down, people are going to start dumping cars, and it's going to come down like a, a pile of bricks. Really? Okay. Um, that's you see that my for opinion. the new, new as, as well as used vehicles? I see it for both. Okay. Now, I think, I think actually used will come down slower yeah. necessarily than new. because oh, really? news, okay. news got artificial markups. Right. Like dealers are selling them for 40 and then they're reselling off for 55. Mm-hmm. So that's an artificial markup. The used ones are also marked up, but they're not going to be marked up quite as heavily. Um, so they've got less room to come down. Yeah, yeah. and they still they still have value. And I think a lot of times used vehicles have been undervalued to begin with. Mm-hmm. right? Like why is a 2020 40K and a 2019 is 25? Yeah. When they're basically the same vehicle. I understand the financing options are different, but yeah. really they're very similar vehicles. Um, so I think the used market will come down a little less, but the new market's going to take a beating. Hmm. Um, the other part of our news is that the easing of restrictions have, has been happening across the country. Mm-hmm. Saskatchewan and Alberta getting rid of um, vaccine Mask. passports, um, getting rid of masks, social distancing stuff. 
and it's coming out here in Nova Scotia. And we've been more conservative when it comes to um, COVID restrictions, whatever you want to call them. And the funny thing is to see people being like, yeah, that's right. Finally. And they're so happy. And this is what I don't understand. Obviously, there's were some bad press around the convoy. Yeah. But what they wanted were less mandates, less restrictions, um, less challenges going across borders. Yeah. And a couple weeks later, and everyone's like, how dare you? And, and a lot of people were very strongly yeah. in opposition to them. Yeah. And then they sort of, all the provinces roll out something similar to what they would have been asking for. Yeah. And everyone is happy about it. So I'm not saying I agree with the convoy or, or the people there. I agree with their right to protest and I agree with their right to speak their mind and I sympathize with how they feel. Um, but we all do want the same thing, which is no masks, no mandates, freedom to go across the country. They just wanted it apparently two and a half weeks earlier than the rest of us. <laughs> well, I think it's funny that they're, they're doing all this. And at the same time, every province that does it's like, we're not doing this in response to the convoy. Well, Saskatchewan and Alberta are definitely doing it in response to the convoy to but some they degree. St- they still preface it with that. Yeah, and, of course they do. And every province now is setting out a rollout on what they need to do. I feel, I don't want to say it, but I feel like the convoy definitely plays into it 100%. Well, sadly, the convoy plays into it because if you're in a conservative-leaning province, you see the support there, right? So it's not surprising that Saskatchewan and Alberta were the first to be like, oh, you really feel that strongly, eh? And they look around, and the trend of the sentiment is towards that. Shaking hands. So boom, it's gone. Um, Interestingly, people inside the Liberal Party recently came out, like a backbencher came out, and tore a shred out of Trudeau for politicizing this from the jump, which is very, very interesting. And obviously the the fringe stuff associated with that convoy was not good, but the larger message has been better received than maybe people expected and seems to be a bit more in line maybe than people would be willing to admit. A lot of people are over this, for lack of a better term, and are looking to move on safely and it's coincidental timing for sure that now the provinces are looking at doing that. So but it's always going to be political, man. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what the background play is. I, I'm like, I'm on it. The big money's in it. It was weird how they were able to fundraise so much capital so quickly. Some of the donations were insanely large. Oh, a hundred percent. What's, what's the play? What's going on here? Well, It'll I never mean, come out, but yeah, like it, it, it further, um, divides the country. And then you have to think of like, all right, well, who benefits from the country being further divided? And, you know, when things like the convoys going over here or Joe Rogan and Neil Young are beefing over here, you stop paying attention to stuff that maybe actually matters, right? Like that distracting element, um, you know, maybe keeps people away from things like, well, how come our medical system was never built to handle a pandemic? Isn't that the sort of thing that you should build a healthcare system around? Is like being prepared for this. How come we never really questioned the fact that we weren't safely taking care of elderly people? All of these questions that you should be asking your government right now, but instead everyone's just yelling about truckers and people young and Joe Rogan. Yeah. Right. And there, whether that sounds like a conspiracy theory, I'm not saying it to that extent, but there is something to be said for how, we get distracted by stuff and how that expands inequality, like the income inequality that has happened 
during this COVID during this pandemic, Insane. it's it's been huge. And you don't hear that really talked about that much relative to some very stupid things. Like think about how messed uh, up the Neil Young of wealth. Think about how messed up the Neil Young Joe Rogan thing is, where Neil Young thinks Joe Rogan is bad, but Amazon is good. Do we I think we talked about this before. Like how messed up is that? Because he went immediately to start peddling Amazon music. I just want our podcast to be big enough that a musician takes his music off of Spotify. Oh yeah. I pull my own music from our own credits. <laughs> Chandler gets so mad <laughs> that he pulls his music off. Um, yeah. We did touch on that. I want to stay focused on yes, this. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's keep it moving here. But it is an interesting one. And we're going to have to start, like maybe do some episodes separately on this. If, 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 we're, if people are interested, if, if someone's interested in, in hearing some more about it, I think you should message us. Uh, and then we could maybe do a couple episodes and, and let Chandler give it to you. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, let's uh, talk about buying a home because uh, this is what something that everyone aspires to do or almost everyone yeah. aspires to do. Um, there's a little note here like you can buy a home with your Valentine. Make sure you've had at least two Valentines with them before you buy a house. Suggestion, I know some of you have not and have had done very well, but just casual suggestion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not the worst piece of advice I've ever heard, um, but uh, this isn't a, a love life advice show either. So no. um, let's start with Step one, you're interested in buying a home. Where you have to begin is with the bank pre-approval process. And I should have said actually mortgage pre-approval process because there's many avenues. There are these little online pre-approval things which are not super reliable. Of They're basically those. you fill out a form and it's an excuse for someone to contact you. Yeah. And then there is going into your bank brokerage, uh, which I'm not a big advocate of because um, you know banks, the person there at the bank – they may be very, very capable, but they can only offer the products of that particular bank, and they likely do not deal exclusively with mortgages, which means they maybe don't have the same level of expertise. Um, and if you have a unique file, they may not be a fit for you. So personally, I recommend going with a mortgage broker who has access to many different lenders and only does mortgages. And so that, sometimes can get you lower rates. And sometimes can get you lower rates, better product, something that has uh, allowance in for renovations, all of these different things. That is st- step one. Yeah. And the other thing like with brokers is they, if you're looking to potentially buy multiple or make a transition, they can hear your whole picture and work with you. Yes. You can also, this sounds terrible, but you can talk openly and honestly with a broker and they're going to work with you to get your mortgage, get you the best product possible. Like Chandler was kind of saying is the banker, nothing against them, but they can only offer what they have in the bank. Technically, some of the stuff that you're going to say to them is going to go against what they have on their checklist to approve you. Mm-hmm. And additionally, Again, I, I say this a lot, but people forget that banks aren't necessarily your friend. Like they're another business and they're selling you a product. Mm-hmm. Credit cards are products, line of credit's a product, mortgage is a product. So they're gonna try and push you into something. They not they shouldn't like aggressively, but they're gonna kind of try and sell you something that makes the most sense. That's why a lot of people, when they make their term selections, I find when I speak to them, it, they're like, Well, the bank recommended it. And a lot of times it's not necessarily the best term for them. Additionally, there's products like life insurance and other things that go on top of that that they'll all often try and sell to you that really aren't the greatest thing for you. Absolutely, but they're yeah. on they're on a requirement basis to meet a certain amount of production in selling those products, and so it's just something to consider when you go in there is to be if you are going to work with a bank, be eyes wide open and try and get a second opinion. But I agree with Chandler that brokers are really important when you're looking at your full picture. Um, and some people say, "But I've banked with so and so my whole life." I like that it's on the same online bank, and I get that entirely. Most independent brokers 
have access to all the major lenders or close to all the major lenders. So you may say, hey, I want to be in a BMO product. I may want to be in a TD product. I want to be in a Scotiabank product. They'll have access to those products in a lot of cases. You just then have someone who is there capturing the, the you and, and, and marketing you to the lender, showing you in your best light. Here's the even last crazy topic I'm going to say about why brokers can be of value. I've had We've had this scenario, and I think this broker might come on to join us, but he can beat the rates that the bank is offering due to the volume of mortgages that he gives. So because Sometimes he, that is the case, yeah. So you might bank with Scotiabank, and they might offer you 2%, but because this broker does 300 mortgages a year with Scotia, he actually gets a special rate discount that he can offer that's cheaper than what a branch yeah. can offer you. So you can go into Scotia, everything can be perfect. They'll be like, yeah, we'll give it to you for 2%. You go chat with him, 1.8%. He can beat that rate. Um, and not always. Not always. Right, right, but not always. But this is why it's worth while chatting. Yeah. You're not tied to any of these people. Like You're not signing an exclusive agreement. You meet with them if it's not the right fit. They don't get what you're looking for or they're not giving you anything better. Then you don't have to work with that person. But it's worthwhile considering and chatting with someone to see because they might honestly have something better for you uh, that could fit your picture. Also, if you're looking to invest, um, a particular bank might have different calculations for your rental income. They may have different limitations when you go to refinance. You may have different penalties if you break your mortgage early. So if you are trying to go from one property to another property to another property, sitting down with a mortgage broker gives you a better opportunity to to paint that picture for them and have a partner then through this journey. Yeah. At the bank, there's a lot of turnover. You go there two years later and there's a different person that works there. Yeah. And, and there's, again, the other items are your credit rating. So if you have some, any issues with your credit score, the big standard banks are just instantly going to say, oh, we can't because it doesn't fit, fit our criteria. Yep. Um, if you're a business owner or have any other income besides a biweekly paycheck, they're going to go, oh, we don't really look at that. Yep. That includes rental income. because And if they do, a lot of the grade A banks will just say, oh, we cut it in half. Like, what? Like, how do you- Yeah, we cut it in half. We add it to your gross income and we let you debt service 30 odd percent of it. So you take a thousand dollars and it goes down to about 500. Yeah. Like 200 bucks, three, yeah, two, 300 yeah. bucks. Like it, it's, it's, it becomes worthless for you. Um, and then the last one you have on here with an exclamation point, you don't pay them. Yeah. And, and someone can say, well, you kind of indirectly do, but the, they essentially get a finder's fee from the lender to bring you to that product. So there's no obligation. There's no risk. And they're highly motivated to get you into a product yep. because that is how they get paid. So rather than someone who is salary-based and if you have a complicated file, they go and they go, oh my gosh, you know, this is a complicated file. I'm going to have to really put some effort into this. Yep. And it doesn't, gonna, doesn't change what I get paid. A lot of people who are in the real estate industry are very money incentivized and they like um, people who, who are paid on commission and, and hustle. Yep. Brokers, independent brokers, that's how they're paid. Uh, which is great for the consumer, and it, it gives someone a, who's going to advocate for your file. So step one, get that pre-approval. That will give you your budget. It'll also give you your monthly payment. It'll also give you your down payment amount. Yeah, okay. And within that, let's go for the couple things of what gets you the approval amount. Like what are the things that are going to impact your approval amount? How am I approved? Is it purely my credit? Is it an income? It's both, and it includes other debts that you're carrying. Yeah. So... Something to consider. Obviously, your income is probably your number one, pretty much your number one factor on the dollar amount that you're going to get approved. Um, and then your income is going to impact your rate. Now, the things that greatly impact the ability to borrow money are the other debts that you carry. And that includes student loans, unsecured line of credit, credit cards, 
car payments and car payments. I'd say yep. those are like the main ones. The biggest one and the biggest issue I see for a majority of people, to be honest, is a vehicle payment. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about this, but just to to break that down a little bit for easy numbers, what they care about is your debt servicing ratio. So how much of your check goes to servicing debts that you can't get out of every month they're coming out of that account. So if you had a thousand bucks coming in, how much is going to your visa? How much is going to your car payment? How much is going to, you know, that that unsecured line of credit? Yeah. All of these things, they want that threshold to be low enough that they don't feel like you're overextending on debt. So the more money you make or the less debt you have to service, that improves your your boring ability. There might be someone out there making $100,000, but because they have all this debt to service, they actually qualify for a smaller mortgage than someone who's making $50,000. It all depends on how much debt you have. And everyone, even if someone has really good savings and and doesn't overextend themselves, almost everyone has a car payment. And I asked you something about this because I know you know cars really well. There are cases where people are financing their vehicle and finding, well, because my big car payment, I'm only only, you know, quote unquote, getting approved for say 300 grand. Yeah. But you can potentially change your financing on that car to get approved for more, right? Exactly. Yeah. So depending on your financing setup, there's sometimes an opportunity to renegotiate or do a whole new term similar to a home. You can buy out your current one and get a new lease set up or a new finance set up to extend it. Because when you look at some people, they're going to be buying the used car. Technically, they'd be starting a fresh uh, finance period on that vehicle, even though you already own it, only have a few years left. So there are options. The biggest thing that really plays into it is having a bit of equity in the in the vehicle. Um, basically, that's the biggest one. You need to have a bit of equity in the vehicle because if you're very upside down, it's tough for them to renegotiate or reset up your financing because nobody's going to step in on a vehicle that you're already upside down on. Mm-hmm. In those situations, it can be tough if you can maybe find a new vehicle to swap into. But in general, if you have a bit of equity and you really need to get that payment down, there's options to sometimes extend it. And I see that with some more expensive vehicles sometimes. Like if you buy a fancy pickup truck, your payment might have been eight, nine hundred bucks and you're almost paid down now. You only owe ten grand left on it. Yeah. Pickup trucks hold value. Exactly. Yeah. And you can it's funny as it sounds, you can literally refinance vehicles and walk away with cash in hand. Now, where vehicle financing is not the cheapest option out there, typically don't suggest using vehicles to get cash back. No. Oh, I, there has been clients that have done that or people who already own a vehicle cash. You're like, crap, like I thought it made the most sense for me to go out and buy this vehicle, $60,000 cash. So I slapped it down. Now I want a house and I'm, I'm like, I don't have this cash. You can go into the, you can go into a financing center and say, hey, right. let's do a 30K against my car and they'll give you the 30K. You do a standardized car loan and you can get that money out. So you're not always. That's a little out. interesting caveat for people looking for down payment. Yeah. But just to, to simplify the idea is say you've got a $400 a month car payment because you're financing this car you could renegotiate your finance terms and perhaps bring that down to $300 a month. Yep. And you're like, oh, $100 a month, though, that, how's that going to help me? $100 right now on your mortgage application, you free that money up, that's $200,000 that, yeah. uh, $20 to $20,000 of approval. So that takes you maybe from two eighty dollars to three hundred. dollars Which could be the difference. Could be a huge difference. Yeah. Right? So you do that. Another one is your student loans. You can also often call in and get your student loans reduced down. Not the amount, but the actual payment that you make. You can sometimes switch things to interest only for a period of time. You can get these payments down on your month to month, which in turn will increase your boring ability. And all of these things, all these little insights, all these little, not tricks, because they're they're just a better way of of moving your money around can be, you know, explained to you by a good mortgage professional. Exactly. That's why a really, really good pre-approval matters. And it really matters right now because, 
there are times where it's like, hey guys, you know, we're not finding anything in your price point. Can you go back to that broker and see if there's anything we can work out here? 40 out of them. Yeah. And and see what can be done. And if you can clear some debt, if you can reduce some payments, you can get that approval up and it can make all the difference in a competitive market. Big time. The last thing I will mention, always ask them to, to hold your rate and for how long it's going to be held for. Because we've been talking about inflation. We both feel like interest rates are going to go up. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many times I've asked people like, well, when does your rate expire and what is your rate? like, I don't know. They just approved us for this amount. It's like, yeah, that's your amount at this interest rate. But if we don't get a home in the next 120 days and your interest rate goes up by, you know, half a point, like then what do you prove for? He's lost 40 grand. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, usually they're good for about 90 to 120 days. That's what I've seen on most of them. Um, Right now, too, they're approving people at around five and a quarter percent for CMHC, which is quite a bit. Obviously, people know that you're signing rates more like 2% for mortgages, but they're qualifying you at five plus in five plus for an interest rate. And that is indicative of the fact that rates are likely going to creep. They usually, if they're approving you at a much higher rate and they are kind of increasing that benchmark, which they recently did, that's a suggestion that rates will follow. Yeah. Yeah. That's called stress testing where they say, okay, you know, we know we're going to give you a mortgage at 2%, but we want to see like, could you also pay it if it was five and a half, i.e. if it goes up in the future. So yeah. Boom, you've got a great pre-approval with someone who you've got a good vibe with that you can be totally transparent with and you've squeezed yeah, that's your boring thing. You ability. Make sure your vibe's good. Yeah, because you need to have these candid conversations. Well, why is this thing on your credit? You know, how do you report your income? Um, they, you want to have a good report with them. The next, meeting with a realtor, figuring out your wants and getting someone on board for you. What's important about that, Neil? Chandler, don't pitch yourself. What's that? I said, don't pitch yourself. Yeah, yeah. Just call me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, right off the hop, same, same thing as what we said last time. This is almost a bigger one I find with the realtor is your personality fit. Yeah. Um, you need to feel, the biggest one I think is you need to feel comfortable with them. You need to be able to openly have a conversation with them and feel candid. I've heard and I've seen some clients that basically are either nervous with them if, if, if the realtor is maybe too dominant. Um, yeah. They feel like they're just kind of being told what to do. Um, and additionally, or on the other side, they have realtors that they feel are not involved enough or aren't going to give them a kick in the butt or kind of give them the advice and kind of coordination that they require to get through it. So you need to see what's best for you because different, like I, I've had some clients that be like, I just need you to just tell me to buy. Or on the mm-hmm. flip side, I have something like, look, I want to take care of everything. You just do what you're supposed to do. So you need to find the person that fits fits your build and communicate that with them. Like if you're yeah. feeling uncomfortable at no point, you should feel uncomfortable with your realtor. You should always feel comfortable to chat with them, be open with them. Um, there should be nothing. If you're feeling in the dark, like communicate, communicate, communicate and feel comfortable to do so. Um, that's a really, really, really important item. Obviously, the other items we're going to go over are also extremely important, but I, I think a personality fit for realtor is crucial. You're also going to spend so much time with them, like a broker or a banker. You're going to probably meet with them once and have some phone calls with them. It, yeah, it, with, in a virtual world, oftentimes you will not meet in person with your... Um, a realtor is going to meet your whole family broker. probably. They're probably going to be at your Christmas dinner. Like There's yeah. a good chance. I meet the parents. I meet yeah. the grandparents. I meet the cousin who's handy. I meet everyone. You're going to you know. Too. Yeah. yeah, it's you're going to know the whole family. So yep. you're going to want to be comfortable with them. Um, number two, which I think is, I don't want to say it's an obvious one, but expertise. Yeah. And I say that kind of loosely because it's very important they have expertise, but how you determine if they have expertise is, I wouldn't say just on the amount of years they've been in. And I say that because... You're only three years in? I'm only three years in. <laughs> and... And I and I lost some clients because it's a very com- I think yeah. that's the most common question that I received. How many years? How long you been? How long you been doing this for? Yeah, yeah. And 
I yeah. feel like it, it's an instant judgment factor. And I'm like, I typically would say longer, not that I've been a realtor, but I've been investing in real estate. So I have a, I have a, an understanding of it, but I can mm-hmm. see, I don't think that that is, it should be a determining factor. Um, not to degrade the, the industry, but Listen, experience doesn't mean expertise. That's exactly right? it. You know, like it, having a keen understanding of real estate, the property itself, what it takes to own, operate, maintain one, what it takes to get through a deal and the actual hustle to do it. You could be in for three days and you could be better than somebody that's been in for 20 years. Yeah. I'm not saying I was that person or I'm not, but I'm, I'm just, that's something I think is very important. And I think 90, maybe that's too high a percentage, but I think a large percentage of people base it purely on how long they've been in for. I'm going to blow your mind even but, more than that. Hit me. It's something like, uh, I haven't looked up this stat in a while and, and I'm sure it changed all the time, but 80% of buyers and sellers go with the first person they meet. And that's the level of their due diligence, which has always blown my mind because, you know, when you're like thinking of going out to a restaurant or a movie, Mm -hmm. first thing you do, like you check out the reviews, you know, maybe look at the menu, see who's acting in the movie. You ask a friend, you maybe watch a preview or two. You're maybe choosing between two restaurants Two like you do a bit of research. Yep. Due diligence. You don't just walk into the movie theater and it comes up like, oh, I'm watching this, I guess. <laughs> and man, people do that with their realtors all the time. First person in front of them. And it's sad. And and I've been used that to my advantage. Someone connected <laughs> me with them and, and boom. And um, it's like, oh, great. I'm the first person in front of these people. And now I'm their agent. It should be, more, there should be more scrutiny than that. And I think that's ask really. your friends. Well, like, yeah, ask, ask your friends, um, you know even ask for reference like hey do you have any past clients that i could talk to a good realtor be like yeah man call these people yeah yeah um that's a good one actually i never thought of that yeah why why would you not it's it's this person is is a part of your biggest purchase of your life you're taking on hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars of debt like we said they're going to meet your cousin and they're going to be at christmas dinner ask for a reference maybe ask for a reference that's a crazy idea um and also right now, the expertise matters. Um, and expertise is not experience. They're d- two different things. Um, think of someone who's 80 years old and is driving a car for 65 years. Do you really want to get a car with them? <laughs> um, that's not meant to be ages. That's not a... We just lost but, two listeners. Um, they couldn't hear anyway. <laughs> oh, no. This is just... Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mark's still awake back there. Mm-hmm. Um Expertise right now matters because it's a very, very competitive market. Yes. It's an ultra-challenging market. Yeah, and you need to have someone who's busy enough out there that they're seeing what's going on in these multiple offer situations. Mm -hmm. If someone is not doing enough volume that, like, you know, I was in five multiple offer situations in the last 72 hours. Yeah. That's allowed me to keep up to date and, and current with what places are going for. So you know? didn't win, didn't win. Evidently more than I'm bidding, <laughs> you know? No, but like, it, that that does matter, right? <laughs> Neil loves that. That's, that's great. Good, good point. Um, I'm sorry. But, but area by area too, right? Those are in five different locations. So people who are doing volume know what's going on and then know how to make an offer clean and strong. And chances are, know the other agent. I heard of a deal the other day where... Um, a selling agent um, took an offer that two offers on the table. Mm-hmm. They went with an offer that was slightly lower mm-hmm. because they knew 
the agent better. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, this agent does a lot of volume, mm-hmm. and an agent who does a lot of volume is maybe more likely to have a better qualified client, mm-hmm. uh, which is not, which is something that some sellers do. Like mm-hmm. I would prefer to do a deal with an agent that I know does high volume and that I have seen their expertise. Um, but little did they know, the other agent offering also did a load of volume as well as a very high top performer. Um, but the listing agent in that case didn't know. So having an agent who knows the dynamics of who might be on the other side of a negotiation it's extremely important. is very important right there, now. There's some non-tangibles. And I also want to retract my thing of making fun of Chandler there. <laughs> not not winning the bids is yeah. not indicative of your agent not being good. It's no. especially in today's market. When there's 60 bids, you could be It's also not Jesus indicative of you not being a good with buyer. An this is just the reality right now. And it's, yeah. Yeah, well, and then like we've talked about before, there's some things like this house might be worth 600. And if someone pays 650 because for them it's worth more and they have yeah. cash to put down, like you just can't compete with that. doesn't matter how good your realtor, yeah. your broker, your anything is and how much you want the house. Some things just don't make sense. So yeah. I just want to put that in there. I was just laughing at him because it, totally. it sounded funny. Yeah. But um, Well, you want to be competitive with every offer you put in. Yes. Right? You're not going to win them all. You're there's, just no, not, there's no point in not being competitive. You know, but you should have an agent. You know, The bigger problem is if you're routinely coming like last and you know, if, or if you're not getting feedback of where your offer was relative to other offers, that's a problem. Yeah. Right? Like no one likes to come second, but at least when you're coming second and third, you're sort of like, okay, we're evaluating the properties correctly. Yeah. We're putting in competitive offers. The one hasn't stuck quite yet. Yeah. But we're in the mix. And if you're in the mix long enough, eventually you're going to get something. Yeah, So exactly. Um, Last uh, item, similar to what we said with the brokers, buying agent, you don't pay them. And I understand that, yeah, we're taking a portion of the commission that the selling agent is charging. But the way that these contracts are written, a selling agent is going to take 100% of that commission regardless. So the seller has already agreed to pay, let's say, 4 or 5%. If they sell that without you, they're taking 4 or 5%. If they sell that with a buying agent involved, it's the exact same amount. Yeah, You can sometimes negotiate it down, but I would honestly, for the expertise, representation, and the actual opportunity to negotiate it down, try and negotiate with a selling agent to reduce their commission. Not going to happen, especially in today's market. Not going to happen. So no. you're, there's really no cost for you doing it, and I, I promise you true the expertise, like Chandler has said, the understanding of how competitive bids work. And the other thing is when you're going through a house, I think this is important to have someone that has a bit of an understanding of what a house is all about, the maintenance, the costs, what to look out for, because what's the point of going through and yeah, it might look all great. And then if you get to an inspection, just to find out it's something that you should have just been pointed out to you on the first walkthrough, it saves you 500 bucks, a ton of time, a ton of emotional hardship. That's something I think that is crucially important here. I've always felt that to sell multi-unit properties, you should have a separate license. I always felt that because it's an investment stream and it should have some sort of separate designation. Yeah. But I also kind of think that in order to sell real estate, you should probably own a house. Yeah. That's, you know, because nobody there, you know, to just to know what goes into home ownership, I think is a valuable asset and then going to sell it to other people. And, you know, you, you don't have to be, uh, a handy person. You don't have to be an electrician. You don't have to be, but you need to understand how the components of a home work because again, it's just going to make your buyer that much more competitive. Yeah. And so if your agent can't explain to you a little bit about how the heating system works and how much you might be paying for utilities on this property or what maintenance you could expect to come up in the home in the first five years, the first 10 years, the first 15 years. Yeah. To me, you're at a disadvantage, maybe not in the offer process, but in the actual home ownership, like what's coming down the pipeline. Yeah, um, you're kind of, you're not, you're not getting expert guidance in, in that. 
situation. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Again, I'm going to preface again. I don't think you have to own a house, but it's nice that they have because it forces them to learn a lot of items by owning a home. But I know there's yeah. a lot of agents that don't necessarily own or don't own yet. I think if they spend a lot of time doing due diligence research and training with other uh, senior agents, sure, there's an opportunity for them to still be proficient in, in aiding you to make your purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, the fun part-ish, depends how long it goes for, I guess, shopping. <laughs> this is where everyone is right now. This is where everybody Shopping is. and bidding. We're just going back and forth between three and four. Three and four. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah there's a mixture. FaceTime in person. FaceTime is becoming more popular because there's a lot of out-of-town buyers. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, kind of the in-person process and what you should be doing, what you're expecting of your agent, um, and kind of what goes on. So the, the first thing you need to understand is what sellers are doing. Right now in our market, they are pricing things intentionally low. So when you're shopping online, yeah. you frustratingly have to add 10 to 25% to the price that you're seeing there. Yeah. Um, and where this is challenging is you're obviously reverse engineering your budget. It's like, okay, I'm approved for 400000 but if I know places are going 10 to 25% over, really I need to be looking at three hundred to three fifty. dollars yep. However, you always wonder, well, what if a place comes up for three ninety nine and worst. it goes under? So the you worst. have to have a really broad net to look at to make sure you're capturing everything, um, and it makes it a little bit harder right now than it has been in past years. Do you want to hear something crazy? Yeah, I do. I have eight places under contract for clients right now, all under ask. No way. And the average in this what? market right now is 110%. Weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. What uh, kind of mixed bag of stuff is it? Um, old stuff. Some of it's off market. Yeah. But it was going to market and some of it has been there. And the other ones were basically, I don't want to say overpriced homes, but expensive homes that are on the cusping point of like they're very There's big less houses. Less competition, yeah. Less competition, high price point, entry point to begin with, and then they're homes that require a lot of maintenance. There's a lot mm-hmm. of these like 6,000 square feet, 30-year-old houses that are on that cusp of like needing a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't get the traction because you know, if you're going to spend a million and a half bucks, you want to feel like you're getting a million and a half bucks, not getting a maintenance problem. That's interesting too. Like within your shopping window, you need to understand, well, how is my market – uh, you say 200 to 300 yeah. different than what people are buying between 400 and 500 and 600 and something because it's different within each little bracket what people are looking for yeah anyways that was just a little weird one that i thought the average though like chandler was saying the average stat comes out every week we've been averaging between 110 to 120 percent of sale price so exactly what he mm-hmm. said 10 to 25 percent and if you're on the entry price point like like he said three four five hundred range probably actually three to seven hundred now i think Expected to be closer to the twenty percent over ask, yeah. if not twenty five percent over ask. Yeah, I mean it's super common to see a home for three fifty go for like four seventy. So what's that? Thirty three percent over. Exactly. That that's becoming very common. Um, yeah. The next thing to consider too is the time frame available. When you yep. see a house come up, you probably have I'd say five days, but in your head, like assume three to four. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, now that doesn't mean <laughs> talk to your realtor that night 14 times and say you have to get in the next day uh-huh. tell your realtor that you want to get in and make that sure you're really personal neil yeah <laughs> that means you want to tell them that you want to get in and they'll go look and see when the offers are due or maybe be, be say hey what do the offers do on this so they say yeah. okay the offers are due tuesday it's friday we know we have a couple days to figure it out and get in before it before it sells um but just definitely understand because i find this one's unfortunate i see a lot of clients because online it doesn't update as quickly like a lot of times online, I'm like, oh, that didn't go pending for 10 days. Now, it was pending five days in, but they yeah. never got the paperwork in to get it updated online. 
So just assume 99% of the houses you see on there within four days to five days are going to be pending. Yeah, really typical scenario would be the home goes on the market Wednesday. Showings are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Offers are due Monday at noon and they're open until Monday at 10. And there was an issue where listing agents were saying, hey, we're not looking at offers until Monday. And then someone would submit what's called a bully offer Mm. and go in early and mess the whole thing up if the seller accepted. That's becoming less common, but it does go in waves. So again, having an agent who understands, all right, is this particular listing at risk of not waiting to their their bidding time? Um, Is there a chance that we could miss out on this? And and how do we navigate that? Um, But you're right. A good question when you see a property come on is to ask your agent, when are offers due for this property? And are they holding offers for sure? And then when can we see it? Um, The other thing to realize, and I know this sounds like a given, but I had this come up with a client the other day. Um, She said, okay, and do I book it or do you book it? I think that's a fairly common question. And I was like, oh, I I never thought of this, but but I book it. And And then do I meet you there? Absolutely. We meet there at the front door and we go in. And she yeah. said, will it be just us? I said, yes, it will. Hopefully. And these are all questions that, you know, I haven't had asked maybe in a little time and I kind of take for granted. But yes, typically it's just you and your agent. Your agent books it on your behalf. You meet there and you go through the property. It's very, very rare for a seller or tenant to be at the property. It's even more rare probably for an a- another agent to be, the selling agent to be there. Um, yeah. You might see the previous group um, coming and going as, as you get there because listings are very popular right now, but that's how the actual process works. Um, and the other thing, which is again, something we take for granted now is when you connect with an agent, they are going to start running an automated search for you in our system. Very similar to what you might be having, you know, running on one of your search engines at home when you're looking at properties, they are going to set you up on that as well. So you've got this kind of a platform that you're getting notifications like, Oh my gosh, this new property came out. Um, and then you can contact your agent and all that good stuff. Yeah. No, I think that I think you covered everything there. Um, I, I think that's and the other one, like picking people up. I think that might have been a thing that did more frequently in the past. COVID kind of iced that yeah. all together. Um, I mean, it depends sometimes if you're doing a showing run, but they're less frequent now. Like I remember when I started, we would do five houses in one go. So sometimes my client would park at the first house and then I would drive them yeah. on the loop yeah, if totally. it was all within the neighborhood. But that's becoming less and less common because unfortunately one house will come up in a neighborhood and you got to jet out and see it real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say for the, the shopping process is, again, don't don't get discouraged because you can go through a fair number of homes. Um, and additionally, it's good. I usually say this, if in doubt, you should go see it. Um, if it's absolute yep. garbage and your, your agent's telling it's garbage, it's a good chance that it, it isn't worth your time. But it's good to get out and see it. And the biggest reason being it gives you some confidence when you find the right house. Yep, because 100%. if you've only seen one house, it's hard for you to say, this is the one. Because mm-hmm. you don't know the difference between houses and they're not all the same. Like they're they're so gr- like gravely different side by side. The two houses, even within like a two-year-old home, can be so different by the way they were maintained, used, and changed by the person that was living in them. You need to go out and see a few to kind of get a groove of like, okay, this is good. This is my level of expectation for maintenance, on and on and on. Because I find a lot of people when they're starting, they're like, yeah, I saw five that I was kind of interested in, but I never kind of jetted out and saw them. Mm-hmm. Go and see them. Got to go see them. Also, you're gonna if you confident. have a good agent, you're going to learn something every house. Like, yeah. Okay, this home is on a septic system. Have I ever yeah. thought about that? Do I know how a septic system works? Yeah. This home over here is on oil, hot water, baseboard. Oh, yeah. well, that's different than what I grew up with. Do I? How do I feel about that? Yeah. Um, so you can learn these things, and then when a home comes along that's a fit, 
You can understand the mechanics of the home better. You can understand why you like the home better, why it's going to trade for what it's going to trade for, because you saw a home over there, you didn't like it, but it sold for 500. Well, the home that you like then is probably going to sell for over 500. Yep. These are little things that, that you learn. Start introducing your agent to all your family members. Bring, yeah, a, bring yeah, a different bring one through. every single time. Let's go. Um, <laughs> then you get to the bidding process. So right now, the way that works is that date comes. Um, your agent should be checking in regularly with the listing agent to get a count of how many offers they have in hand, which the listing agent doesn't have to disclose, but often they do. Um, they may also indicate things like the seller's preferred closing date. Um, they might indicate things like the disclosure documents, the the heating costs, any of these extra things that could help inform your purchase. Maintenance they've done in the past, anything they yeah. provide. Yeah. Survey. Yeah, so... That's leading up to the, the the process, but with the bidding situation here at least, and it's a little bit different in each region, you kind of get one kick at the can. You bid, and then everybody else in the province at the same time writes their bid, <laughs> Yeah, and then you wait for your rejection. Usually they come three to four hours later. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it's gone bad lately. A couple of agents recently have done their rejections via this um, kind of online booking platform we have, and unfortunately, not everyone gets the notifications, so... It's, it's been hard to even know sometimes with 20 offers as a listing agent, they're trying to email everyone back and then they miss you. And all of a sudden, like, you're there sitting by the phone waiting to hear about your offer. And, and so is your client. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so to, to continue what you're saying, so Chandler was saying, then you make a bid and he, you get one kick at the can. And why that's important to consider, I, I find, I'm sure you do too, a lot of clients, uh, if you're out there thinking about it, you're like, oh, I'd pay 600 but like I'm just shooting it, maybe I'll do 590 And then you see it sell for 595 and you're like, I would do 600 and you're like, yeah, you, you missed the ship boat. Sailed. The ship has sailed. You need to go to the absolute top that you're comfortable doing on that home to, and this way you'll have no regrets on doing it. And if you get into it and you find the house isn't as maintained as you thought it was, then you can re-review things at that point in time, assuming you maintain an inspection clause. Well, yeah. And let's, let's talk about that because right now, as I alluded to earlier, a lot of people are taking some conditions out of their offer. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the conditional period here in a second. But when you submit your offer, the price is the big one. Yeah. The closing date is is important as well. Yeah. There's a deposit that's submitted uh, once your offer is accepted, and that's held in trust with the seller's brokers. That counts towards your down payment. Yep. So the bigger deposit sometimes shows your financial strength. But your main conditions are financing and inspection. And some people are like, well, I'm pre-approved, so... You know, I'm just going to waive financing. It's like, well, hold on there a second. Like, are you actually pre-approved by a really good broker? Yeah. Um, or did you fill out a form online? Because yeah. those are very different things. Yeah. Um, but maybe you feel super confidence, you know, a high level of confidence in your financing and you remove that clause. Yeah. That shows some strength saying, hey, you know, our, our money is so good. We don't even need to worry about that. Then you have your inspection clause. So the first thing that's noteworthy is just because you take an inspection out of the agreement doesn't mean the seller can just hide any deficiencies. The seller is still obligated to disclose any material defects, right? If they have a leak in the basement and they know of it, they have to disclose it. The challenge is oftentimes the seller doesn't know. And by removing your inspection clause, you don't have that unbiased third party, well, they're biased in your favor, uh, representing you to go through that home and, and inspect it head to toe. So what are you seeing out there? People waving that? Now, like you were saying, now people are starting to waive their clauses. Um, financing, I see a lot of people waiving that one. Yeah. I see a lot of people want to maintain an inspection clause for a lot yeah. of reasons, especially where we are. Obvious reasons, too. Oh, obvious yeah. reasons. And where we are, a lot of homes are older. 
So there is a lot of little random issues that do come up and we have a lot of old electrical and plumbing and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but now clauses are starting to pull back. But one way to consider it, and this is one of my clients said this, I was like, you're going fully unconditional on a house that's X amount of dollars. You're okay with that? And he said, in my head, I've just come to grips with the fact that I have to spend this much on maintenance. He goes, so I said, I'm going to bid this much. And worst case, I'm going to spend another $25,000 to fix anything that could possibly come up that I can't see in my walkthrough. Yeah. So, and that's, but, that's something to consider. I, mean, I don't think it's obviously the best way of doing it. But and it's not a fit for everyone because some people just don't have that cash. And that's what I say. It's not for everyone, but that's sometimes what you're up against now. Yeah, it, that's true. That is one of the things you're up against. Another one I ask people when they're saying, hey, I'm thinking about waiving the inspection clause. I'm kind of on the fence. Well, one, I re-go over everything that we talked about in the homes. Like, well, remember how we said some of those windows are getting a little small uh, or, or, or getting a little bit old, I should say. The deck at the back, you are probably going to replace that in the next two or three years. The roof, the sellers have indicated it's 10 years old, so you're probably good for another seven years there on that asphalt shingle. Yeah, We recap all those and say knowing all of that, and knowing that's not everything that's wrong with the property, are you still good to waive that inspection? If they say yes, uh, or if they're on the fence, we continue to have a conversation. The next level I ask is, well, here's a question. If we did the inspection and they found $15,000 of stuff that we didn't know about, would you back out of the deal? And in this market, a lot of them say, no, nah, I'd still take it. It's like, well, then maybe you are at the comfort level that you can waive that inspection. Two questions. Bring an inspector on the showing. Is that a question? You just made a statement. You said two questions and you said one thing that you wasn't know, a question. You know, you know what I'm getting <laughs> at. What do you think of bringing an inspector on the show? <laughs> um, so I've done this for my personal homes and, and for some clients over the years. The challenge is inspectors are very, very busy and the Expensive. showing windows are getting really small. Um, so I, I was booking places last week where the, they let us have 15 minutes yeah. in the home. So if your client gets delayed in traffic or Neil's your realtor, you miss your entire <laughs> showing window because Neil's 20 minutes late. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like this place literally good. had a 15 minute good. window. Um, so an inspector might come and get like, well, what can they see in 15 minutes or even half an hour? They can catch some high level stuff. Uh, you will have to pay them. But I know a lot of inspectors right now aren't that busy because there's very few homes being transacted. And a lot of the homes that are being transacted are waiving inspection clauses. Mm-hmm. So if you can get an inspector to come with you um, you know, on a viewing and are willing to pay them for that time, that could give you some advantage there for sure. Second question. We'll see about that. Let me, let me put all the words in there. What are your thoughts <laughs> on homes that are pre-inspected by the seller? Um, question mark. I think that, so this is when a seller uh, wants to get ahead of the conditional period and say, hey, before I even list the home, I'm going to have the home inspected and I will then provide that inspection to any buyers. And that increases their likelihood that a buyer will take the property effectively as is. The buyer will say, all right, well, I see this inspection. I see what's going on with this home. So I can make my offer not have that inspection clause. As a buyer, I like it. And depending on the reputability of of the inspection company, I say, hey, this is pretty darn solid. I would prefer to have it before I even view it because then we can go through it. And as we're going through the inspection, we can highlight those things in the property. Um, from a selling perspective, it's kind of a funny approach because once a seller knows of an issue, they have to disclose it. So there may be things in that inspection that even surprise the seller. And I find some buyers, they still want their own inspection. Oftentimes I find buyers that still want their own inspection because they feel that the inspector that was there may have been a little more generous, uh, towards the seller in this case, because they were hired by the seller. 
And like when you're flipping through the report and you're like, hold up, page four goes straight to page six. Uh, well, that shouldn't be the case ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's especially, that's really suspicious. The other thing is some of the inspectors that do the home inspection, you as the buyer can't call them up and ask them questions because they'll be like, nope, yeah. I don't work for you. I work for the seller. I, I did that job for the seller and the seller may give them permission to speak to the buyer but then the home inspector might want to be paid for their time then too because if you're going to call and grill them with questions. So yep. um, I think I understand the logic from the seller's perspective and I understand buyers saying, we'll take that inspection, we'll roll with that. The one little caveat in this, if you're looking at homes that are on well and septic, you have to realize that um, you cannot just waive your water inspection because your bank may require proof of potable water. Uh, so you may need to keep a water inspection in regardless if you want to waive it or not, depending on what your lender requires. You got to check the water and septic. It's That one's way too Totally. The also, a septic system is 22 Gs for sure and, and a lot a of mess. giant tank full of crap under your house. You yeah. got to check that thing out. Yeah. So even when people are being hyper-aggressive, I find they're not waiving well inspected and septic unless, you know, if you're a seller, it's a very prudent thing to get your water tested regularly. So a seller might be able to provide a recent water test. And if some a place has a brand new septic system, then that's another uh, item. The one that comes up in the city would be a sewer line scope. So that's when they send a camera down the old sewer to go from your house to the city um, to make sure there's no blockage or anything like that. And I find that's another one that people are reluctant to waive because, again, it can be – even though the expense may only be 8 to 10 or 12 grand, it's a huge inconvenience and it's a huge project. So I've had a couple instances where people have waived a traditional home inspection but have kept – the sewer line scope in. But yeah. all these things, when you're in your bidding, can help strengthen uh, your offer. Price is always, always, always going to be number one. Yeah. But right after that is whether or not you have an inspection clause in the agreement. Um, and then, like Neil said, you have to sit back and wait. And when you come to drawing your limits, because you can continue to push the limit, push the limit, push the limit up to your top of your pre-approval, the thing you have to be uh, comfortable with is are you fine, one, if you win the property for that price and you're not going to be, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just paid that much for that property. And two, if someone wins it for a thousand bucks more, you're going to be at peace with that because you put in your best offer. Yeah, you would need to understand you put your best foot forward and that's also why you want to put your best foot forward because it's, again, not having any regrets. Bid with no regrets. This way you won't have any issues. Um, and we have last on here determining the correct price. I, I think this is, a, this is an awkward one because... There's a mixture of you look at your comparables in your neighborhood, but I think Chandler alluded to it last time you're on is that the new thing is now, okay, well, this if it's a row of 10 townhouses, the first one goes for 450, the next one goes for 475, the following one just has to go for 500. Yeah. Now it's no longer the correct price, it's like the correct gap between the previous sale. Yeah, it used to be if you've got a standardized product, one was really nicely renovated and it sold for 300, another one came up two weeks later, it wasn't as nicely renovated, well, then you pay 290. And yeah. this year, it just seems like the next one's going for 10 grand more than the last one previous and previous. So you have to keep tabs on how high things are going, how high over asking, what are the most recent comps, what did they do, how many offers are you competing against, and all of these things to try to determine within a, a, a reasonable range what the property could go for. And this is what I tell my clients. I can never give you exactly what price will win it within reason. Um, but I can give you what will be the competitive range yeah. with, with some level of certainty. Yeah. Then within that competitive range, it's your comfort level. And obviously, the higher the offer, the better chance you have of winning. Yeah. People go like, do you think we'll have a better chance if we go up five grand? It's like, yeah, 
that's how it works. Like you will. <laughs> One dollar up and you're closer. You know, at some point you've got to draw your line. You've got to stick with it. And you've got to have no regrets on it. So yeah. let's imagine a hypothetical amazing situation where you get an offer accepted. Then what happens? I've never done this before. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, call in if you know. Um, <laughs> but we talked about it a bunch there. I think we went over inspection quite a bit. but We did, yep. You can get a home inspection. They're about 500 bucks. They'll come through. They'll do the house. Your other option with that is a radon inspection. They'll throw a machine in the basement, check your radon levels. Uh, you, there's also a map that you can check where radon levels are higher in the city. Uh, radon is a gas that can be harmful on your lungs, so it's good to get checked, especially if you're going to spend a lot of time in your basement or your kids are. Um, the other one then is a water test, which is really important for homes that are on well, and the bank's going to want to see that. And then your septic is your other one, and that's to check your poop tank underneath your home and making yep. sure that all the pipes are good and it's not going to flood into your house. So we've beat the inspection to death. Um, let's say you had a financing clause in there. This yep. is basically stating that you've now got a bit of time to achieve an actual full approval. So now you yep. might be pre-approved, but the house and you need to be approved together, and that means the house's value has to be approved. It mm-hmm. has to be appraised for the value that you've now bid and said it's worth. Uh, and additionally, you need to confirm that your finances are there to support it. Yeah, They might find something when they run a full approval, they may do a little bit deeper dive and find something that didn't originally come up or your financial picture may have changed from four months ago when you started this process and so they can't maybe make the approval anymore. Totally. Some people are like, well, how come I'm not automatically approved now? It's like, well, it's been a month and a half since your pre-approval. We have to double check that you haven't changed anything in your personal profile. We do need your most recent. new F-350 you keep coming to the showings with. Exactly. Interesting. We need your most recent pay stub to prove that you still are gainfully employed. Like little little things like that. And then they have to send that up to the underwriter who's actually the person that says, all right, this person who we've, you know, is in our system as a pre-approval is buying this home and we feel okay about that home's value. And we're going to execute the agreement to loan money to that person. Yeah. So if you've got all your ducks in a row and you've got a great relationship with your your mortgage broker, they're just kind of wrapping up the final bow on, on that process. Um, the deposit, this is something that you write in your agreement, how much money you're willing to put down is a good faith gesture to secure um, your holding position while you do your due diligence. Typically now I'm seeing five and $10,000 as, as a deposit. Yep. It used to be 1000 bucks. You will not lose this. If you do an inspection and the house comes back and you have an inspection clause in there and the house comes back with a ton of issues and you do it within your designated timeline you can, and you want to back out of this deal, you will not lose your deposit. Additionally, if you go through the process and within your designated timeline, you aren't unable to acquire the financing you want or require to close, you will get your deposit back. Yes, it is fully After, refundable within the due diligence period. Exactly. Once your due diligence period closes... That house is considered sold, and at that point, if you back out due to one of these reasons, it is too late, and you will forfeit that deposit and potentially a lawsuit at the same time for damages on that property. Yep. Based on a sale price that it sold for, you could be liable to make sure it always sells for that in this next period. Yeah. So basically, when your offer is accepted, you are on the clock to complete all of your conditions, do all your due diligence by a set date and a set time. Usually a week to 10 days. A week to 10 days is very typical. And the way our forms have changed recently is that within that window, you have to fill out another form once you're all done. Once you say, you know what? I'm happy with all this. I'm locking the deal in. You sign off. You now have to fill out a form. It used to be, if you heard our last episode, that you were automatically deemed to be satisfied unless you gave notice to the contrary, i.e. unless you said, I'm not happy with this, I'm backing out, then the deal would automatically firm up. Now it's the opposite. If you don't give word to the seller, like, yes, I'm locking in this deal, then your deal falls apart. So know your due diligence day. Stay on top of your your service providers, your inspectors, your your mortgage broker, and your agent to say, hey, 
you know, did we get the deposit in? Is our financing going through? Are we, you know, progressing well? And then you lock in the deal. You also do other things like talk to your lawyer, get insurance, all that stuff. But that's kind of secondary. This is the time to go back and see the house more as well. Like you want to get your, anything you're going to do, do it during this period. Well, this is the thing too you need to be mindful of. If you waive the home inspection, then you may not see that home again until the day you move into it. Yeah. Right? So you may have that 15-minute window to decide if you love it, write an offer, and then not see it for 60 days later when you close. Yeah. Um, I know sometimes people write in, uh, we would like one showing prior to closing in order to have a contractor through to do measurements for whatever renovation or something to the like. Right now, I find sellers are very inflexible on a lot of things and buyers are trying to keep their deals so crystal clean that they put very limited things in there. They ask for the appliances. That's very standard. Almost every home is going to come with appliances. I haven't done a deal without a set of appliances in a resale home in years. So those are going to be in there and typically window coverings and bathroom mirrors. But other things like asking for that flat screen TV, asking for that ride-on mower you saw in the garage, it's hard to do those right now in this market uh, when you're competing against other buyers who may not have them. Asking for the really cute cat. Cat comes included. Cats aren't worth anything anyway. Um, (laughs) One thing just lost our last three years. <laughs> um, backup offers. Mm-hmm. So you didn't win the property, but maybe Representative maybe Chandler. you were close enough, <laughs> close enough that the seller will extend you the offer of backup position. So we were just talking about the due diligence. If the first position buyer does not complete their due diligence successfully, i.e., they can't get their financing or they decide they you know, didn't like the inspection, they back out of the deal. If you're in backup position, the deal automatically transfers to you. Next in line. It doesn't go back to the market. It just comes right to you and then you're on the clock. Now you've got your due diligence that kicks in for you to do all of your things. And I tell people, always take the backup. Why not? It's low risk, high reward. And I had one that just came together last week. We were in backup position. The first people couldn't get their financing. They extended once. So the sellers had to come to us and say, hey, we know you're backup. The other people haven't gotten their deal yet. We're actually extending them. Can we extend your backup? We said yes. Yeah. Right? Because now it looks like the first deal is getting a little shaky. Yeah. And then they came to us and, and we've got it under contract now. I'd say about 20% of the time maybe it goes to backup. A little less than that maybe? Maybe a little less than that. But 15% yeah, of the time. But yeah. that's still, that's still. I mean, when you're out there and you're bidding, that's there's a good chance you'll send more than five bids. So there's Always an take the backup. Yeah. Because here's the other thing. If they come to you and like, hey, the first people fell, you know, they disappeared. You still don't have to take it either. You can kind of be like, yeah, yeah. like we didn't like the inspection either. We're backing out. Or yeah. sometimes like, well, we kept shopping and we found something else. Yeah. Right. Sometimes the person in backup, you know, you're going to continue to go in there and, and shop. But one way or the other, but be it a backup or an accepted first offer, you you secured the property, you completed your due diligence, you are now firm and the Take sale the is entered, in. the deposit's in. It's entered in the system as sold, which means you get to see it change colors online, which is a super great feeling. And then your closing date is often, you know, well, it could be super it could be it varies, but it's four later. to eight weeks on average. Four to eight weeks is pretty typical. Um, so right now this is uh, February 14th. Most deals would be closing mid-March, maybe yeah. late March, maybe early April. Occasionally there'll be a scenario if a tenant needs to move out or a place is vacant. Like if it's vacant, they may want a two-week closing. If a tenant has to move out, it might be two and a half months before you can get in there. Or if it's new construction, it could be eight months to a year depending uh, on what it is maybe like 13 months <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah nowadays we're 13 yeah. months but new construction a lot of time will be an extended period yeah that's changing in this market but if you're doing a custom home or something like that it's definitely going to be a year yeah uh, for your closing so leading up to the closing we've joked about this before 
You've got to remember to set up your utilities. You can plan for your mover and you, you can plan for your cable connection, but do that for the day after closing because you won't actually own the property. You won't actually take possession of the home until the afternoon of the closing date. Yeah. So if you're closing on March 16th, realize that you are not going to have access to that home probably until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 2 is always the time. It doesn't yeah. matter how early or ahead advance you are. You've got everything signed and all that. Like I've seen maybe a few close, like 11 or 12, but realistically, it's going to be always two or three. And sometimes, and I'd say almost frequently, they're cupping like on like four o'clock, five o'clock yeah. at the end of the day. And I've seen, I've had people unfortunately have to sit outside with the movers waiting to get their keys to the house because yeah. you physically cannot go in that house. It's not your home yet. It has not been transferred. Yeah. So make sure your water bill is set up for that day. Make sure your power is set up for the day, Insurance. but you're moving in your cable set up for the next day. And if you're taking a day off work, make it the next day because then you can be at home when the cable company comes sometime between nine and five. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you have your insurance. I see that one a lot where the mortgage goes to fund and no one ever thought about the insurance. And then you need to get your insurance in place really quickly. Fortunately for home, for single family home insurance, you can call any of them and they'll put it together on on the phone and it's pretty well active within 20 minutes. Um, and there's reasonable rates, but if you can do it in advance, it just removes a huge headache and stress because you got to totally. get all the documents to your lawyer. Um, additionally, and you say that like it's so quick. If you've got an oil tank, you know, if you've got a wood stove, they're going to have a lot of questions about that. True. You know, and it's always better to set that up in advance. The, uh, I was going to say the other thing regarding like with your lawyer, you're going to be going there to sign documents. The amount of money that you need to drop off for your down payment, a lot of people I find are looking for it way in advance. A yeah, lot of times you're not it's know. not, you're not going to know until maybe two days before, a day before, or the day of sometimes, because realistically your mortgage stuff does not end up showing up at the office until a couple days within the deal closing. So you might not know until literally a day before that you need to bring in $50,000 to close the property. Yeah. But here's a good way. Here's a good way to ballpark it. Yeah. You know, you need 5% for your down payment. That's your minimum. Minimum. So on a $300,000 home, there's 15 K. If you got a conventional mortgage, you're going to need more than 5%. Yeah. Um, Right. Um, <laughs> if if a, a typical 5% down, 15K on that $300,000 home, mm-hmm. you're going to need 1.5% uh, to pay to the municipality in, in our municipality. That's called your deed transfer. That varies by municipality, but that's 4,500 bucks. Then you're need, gonna, need to pay your lawyer, your title registry. Bucks. What's that? Lawyers about a thousand bucks. They yeah. they bill seven eight hundred, but there's a bunch of little admin fees on there, courier fee, this that and the other. Yeah, registry fee, title insurance, thousand bucks. Yeah, I tell people your closing costs are going to be about one and a half percent, which is your deed transfer plus thirty five hundred dollars. Right? Yeah. And now, so you've got that total. All right, my five percent on three hundred is fifteen k. My deed transfer is forty five hundred. Well, you know, so now I'm up to yeah. twenty three hundred bucks. And then remember, ah, but I paid five thousand dollars for my deposit, and that counts towards it. Yeah. So you're actually going to have to come up with that amount less the five thousand dollars that's already sitting there, ready to go towards the property. Yeah. I just want to finish breaking out that thirty five hundred. You're saying so, like you said, you have your your lawyer at a thousand bucks. Let's say there's an oil tank on the property. You have mm-hmm. to buy the oil that's within that prop within those tanks, and they'll fill it up first. Exactly. Yeah. It's supposed to be full. So when you do your pre close on that day of closing, you're going to go to the property, make sure nothing's changed, that there's no no damages. Uh, You're also going to check to make sure that the oil tank or the propane tanks are full because you're on the hook to pay for a full tank. Um, And so a full tank oil right now is probably more than a thousand bucks, but roughly a thousand dollars. Propane really depends on how many tanks you have there. Additionally, if it's propane, you may have to take over a lease because the tanks are often leased. Um, And then there's the other thing of paying property taxes. This is the one that I find a big part of the bill that sometimes gets forgotten. And confuses people. Yes, and confuses people because you're like, I'm paying detransfer tax. But you also have to pay the property taxes in advance, right? Because property taxes are paid six months in advance. 
So making sure like that you understand that you're probably if you're closing on February 1st, you're going to be paying five months of property taxes, which is not a small bill. It's probably also another half percent of the, of the property price. Right. So that's another few thousand dollars that can be something you have to take on. So I, I that thirty five hundred totally varies, obviously, depending on the price of the, of the house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, same thing. I would say around two and a half to three percent. Two and a half percent is a really good way, I think, of budgeting of your closing cost for your uh, closing costs. Yeah, exactly. Of the price of your home is your closing cost. Um, outside of that, I don't think there's anything else that's much, that's major. No, no. So you can do that quick math, but just realize your lawyer's not going to be able to give you a precise number because they are going to be calculating the oil adjustment based on the cost of oil pretty much that day or that week. They're going to be calculating the adjusted property tax amount that we just talked about based on the current property tax and how many days between payment periods it is. So all those things are going to come with kind of the last moment. Um, and the other thing, you touched on it really quickly there, but just to, to recap, Prior to the final closing, prior to all of your money that you've ever saved up being advanced to the seller, you do a walkthrough. And that's either the night before or the morning of the closing. You do a last visit to the property. You just make sure nothing crazy has happened and that they've left what they're supposed to leave and that they've removed what they're supposed to remove. Yeah. Um, That the home is effectively in the condition that it was when you agreed to buy it because some time has passed. And only then do you contact your lawyer and say, hey, we did our pre-close. We're good. Release the money. And then it should close sometime around 2 o'clock on the closing day. Exactly. And just last thing will be in the event that there is something that does come up in that pre-close walkthrough, your realtor and your lawyer will work together to basically go to the seller and say, Hey, look, there's a massive hole in the wall. Yeah. This either needs to be repaired, but more likely than not, you're going to say, we're going to close. So we move into the house, but we're going to hold back a thousand bucks to get somebody in to come and get it fixed. Yeah. They come fix it at $700 that gets paid for the $300 goes back to the seller. And that's for legitimate things being a re- It's not like, Oh, you know what? We never really noticed the carpet was stained in this back corner. It's not for that. It's, hey, when they were moving, they broke this. Or, oh, they didn't clean out underneath the uh, back patio, so there's like $500 worth of junk back here. Actual legitimate things like that sometimes come up on closing. Your agent and your lawyer will negotiate that with the other side, get it resolved so you can still get in that home. Yep. And that, my friends, is the process of buying a house. (laughs) So... Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Hopefully. Thanks for listening. Um, we have a couple big things coming. We're working on a website right now. Ooh, some yeah. new branding. Uh, mm-hmm. We got some people coming on to help us grow this bad boy. So thanks for listening. Check yeah. us out. And peace. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.